Sometimes life can be confusing, right? We, we run into all kinds of situations where life is confusing. For example, have you ever thought about these things? When you open a bag of cotton balls, are you supposed to remove the one at the top? Is there another word for synonym? If a deaf person swears, does his mother wash his hands with soap? <laughs> Where do forest rangers go to get away from it all? What do you do when you see an endangered animal eating an endangered plant? These are complex situations. If someone with multiple personalities threatens to kill himself, is it considered a hostage situation? If a turtle doesn't have a shell, is it homeless or naked? <laughs> Why don't sheep shrink when it rains? Can vegetarians eat animal crackers? If the police arrest a mime, do they tell him he has the right to remain silent? Why did the kamikaze pilots wear helmets? What was the best thing before sliced bread? Two more. If a parsley farmer is sued, can they garnish his wages? <laughs> and last but not least, if a man is standing in the middle of a forest speaking and there is no woman around to hear him, is he still wrong? Life can be confusing sometimes, right? And sometimes it's funny, but there's one, one place where it's really serious in this world. It's when there's confusion about Jesus Christ. I chose the picture here. I actually took this yesterday. I was out on a run in the field behind Viewpoint. I, took a, I saw those purple flowers out in the middle of the, the barren field in the dark sky, and I took the picture, and then I... I was looking at it, and I was thinking, man, that's a picture of where we want to go today, because Christ is like this beautiful life, right? He came into this world and brought life and hope and, and vibrance, but this world is a dark place. There's a lot of hurt and a lot of misthinking, a lot of wrong ideas that, that could be kind of represented by those clouds, and if we're not careful, those clouds and the barrenness of this world can, can lead us to be confused about Christ. We want to have a, a clear vision of who Christ is. And as I thought about it, you know what? We're not alone in that. If anyone's ever been confused about Christ, or if you're here today and you got some confusion about Christ, it's nothing new. He hung out with 12 guys for three years, and, and even hanging out with him in person for three years, you know those guys were often very confused just like you and I are sometimes. And most of the time it was when he tried to explain to him why he came. Let me give you just a couple examples. They won't be up here, but just listen in. Luke chapter 18 says, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will be fulfilled. He'll be handed over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. And check this out. See if you relate with these guys. I mean, he just laid it out for them, right? Black and white. As the disciples did not understand any of this. 
Its meaning was hidden from them, and they didn't know what he was talking about. Ever feel that way? They were there often. Mark 9, same thing happened. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They'll kill him, and after three days he will rise. Listen, but they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. I relate to those guys sometimes. Sometimes I'm confused about Jesus. And this morning I want to talk specifically about three things that will leave us confused about Jesus. And we're going to look at three instances in the book of Mark, chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10, where he tried to tell the disciples what was going on, and they didn't get it. And there were three things that I believe helped keep them from understanding. Three things that kept them confused about Jesus. And there are three things that will keep you and I confused about Jesus if we hold on to him too. The first thing that will keep us confused about Jesus is if comfort is your number one priority in life. If desiring a life of ease above everything else is your number one goal, you will be confused about Jesus. The second one is comparison. If you develop your identity based on how you stack up against other people, you're always looking and comparing, oh, I'm not as good as him, I'm, I'm better than her, you will have a hard time understanding Jesus. The third one is craving for recognition. If you're going all out in your own power to get in the limelight in your life for your glory, you will remain confused about Jesus. The disciples face these, th these three things, and we're going to look at the antidote to each one. But as you heard those, I hope you're already spinning in your mind. Are any of these keeping me confused about who this Jesus is? They're keeping me from embracing him and, and walking with him. So we're going to ju jump into Mark chapter 8. Him and the disciples are at a point in the ministry where he's been hanging out in the country. He's been hanging out in Chino and Paulden so far, okay? Out in Galilee. All right, now he's coming into Phoenix. He's, he's coming to Jerusalem, the, the city. He's heading there to die. And on the way there, three times, he's going to tell his disciples about it. And we're going to see how each of these three things got in the way of them understanding what in the world he was talking about and what it had to do with them. First one was comfort, right? The idea in this first passage that we're going to look at is if comfort is our number one priority, it will cause you to be confused about the sacrifice of the cross. Comfort will leave you confused about the sacrifice of the cross. Mark 8.31, we've got it up here on the screen. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and check this out. You remember Peter, bold, courageous Peter? I mean, he's talking to the Lord here, right? Jesus is telling him what's going to happen, and Peter takes him aside. Hey, Lord, come over here for a minute. And what does Peter do? It says he began to rebuke him. Can you imagine rebuking Jesus? That's the same word that is used when Jesus told demons to shut up and get out of people, rebuke. That's what Peter's doing to Jesus. Okay, you talk about bold, right? And I don't know what Peter was thinking. Maybe he's thinking Jesus is going to be like, oh, thank you. I was waiting for somebody to say that because I hate God's will. I don't want to go through with this either. So if you can get the other guys in on this, 
we'll just head down another path. I don't know what Peter was thinking, but look what Jesus says. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples. He wants to make sure they all get the point here. Teaching moment, right? He rebuked Peter back, and what did he say? Get behind me, Satan. Wow. I don't think that's what Peter expected. You can imagine even Peter being taken aback for a minute. Get behind me, Satan. Why did he say that? Because Peter's trying to get Jesus to take a shortcut to glory, right? The, the enemy himself, Satan, had already done that when he tempted Jesus. It's already been tried. He said, hey, worship me and all this will be yours. Jesus said, no, worship the Lord your God only. In other words, I'm not taking a shortcut. I'm here on a mission to seek and save the lost that will take me to the cross and through a resurrection. I will not take a comfortable shortcut. That's what he's saying to Peter. Imagine what would have happened if he had listened. Not one of us in this room would know what it means to be forgiven of our sins. No one in the world would know what that means, to be set free. But he goes on, he says, You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. In other words, Peter, all you're thinking about is comfort. And sometimes we like to think of a Jesus like that because if Jesus' life was supposed to be comfortable, then hey, my life is supposed to be comfortable too. But you know what? That's not what the Bible teaches. So how, how do you get clarity on this? If comfort is keeping you from understanding Jesus, the clarity comes when you and I begin to truly cling to the cross of Jesus Christ. We've got to cling to that cross. Listen to what he goes on to tell the, the disciples in verse 34. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Must deny themselves. This is not a popular passage. You won't find this on a lot of TV channels when you flip through, listen. Deny themselves. And when we think about denying ourselves, this, this is an interesting thing. Often the first place we go is we think of the things that we need to set aside. And sometimes it does lead to that. But you know what? It goes a whole lot deeper than that too. Sometimes we think of it as setting something aside, like in the example of Lent. I've got friends that celebrate Lent as a, a freeing example of just laying something aside for Jesus, and I respect that. I'll probably try it sometime myself. Laying something aside for the sake of Jesus and focusing on him, fasting, that's a good thing. I heard a joke about it one time. Okay, there's, a, there's a neighborhood full of Catholics, and there's, there's one Baptist in the neighborhood, okay? One Baptist. And Lent comes around, and all these Catholics are, are eating their fish, and then they, they smell something. They come out their back door, and there's little smoke in the air, and they, they look, and sure enough, in the back, backyard of this Baptist guy, he, he's grilling a big, juicy ribeye. And that smell's just wafting over, and all these Catholics are like, we've got to get him converted. We've got to get him into our church and get him converted. So they, they bring him to church one day. And they bring him in, and uh, he's sitting in the service, and he says, okay, I'll do it. And so the priest came, comes up to him to pronounce a blessing on him, and he says, you were born a Baptist, you were raised a Baptist, from now on you will be a Catholic. And so all these neighbors are like, yes, we got him, we got him. 
So fast forward a year, Lent comes around again, and they're all preparing their fish, and sure enough, they smell steak. <laughs> they walk over to, to the fence again, and he's got a big porterhouse on there, just going to town on it. And they come over to see what's going on, and they see him standing there over the steak saying, you were born a cow, you were raised a cow, now you're a fish. <laughs> I love that story. Sometimes denying ourselves does mean setting something aside, but it means when Jesus talks about something even more deep than that. It means denying the fact that I am the center of my existence. I am no longer the axis upon which the world rotates. That axis now belongs to Jesus Christ. That is the essence of what it means to deny ourselves. Not what I feel like doing. What Jesus calls me to. That is the center of my life. He goes on to talk about something else that's often misinterpreted. Must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now this has gotten spun all kinds of funny ways. Taking up your cross, okay? Let me tell you what it's not. It's taking up your cross for Jesus is not when you go to Costco and all the parking spots are filled close to the store. Okay, you ever hear people talk like that? Like, went to Costco and I had to walk from the back of the lot to the front. I had to just carry my cross for Jesus. Or it's not when you try three kinds of cat food for your cat and she doesn't like, like any of those and people say, well, that's just my cross to bear. No, we've really lightened what taking up your cross means. We've, we've trivialized it. Taking up your cross has nothing to do with little minor irritations in your life. They may be involved sometimes, but what it means is to follow Jesus down a path of suffering and death as you obey what he calls you to do. When Jesus tells you to be a faithful witness at work and your job's on the line and you keep being bold for Jesus because you trust that he's going to take care of you. You trust that he's in control. Ladies, you're with your friends. You bring up your hope in Jesus. And you start to notice that they're not inviting you to the latest event. You've got a choice to make. Am I going to cave and say, sorry about all that talk about Jesus? Or are you going to be faithful? Because you love him more than life itself. That's what it means to bear a cross. Jesus' sacrifice... Paul talks about it in Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's nothing comfortable about that for Jesus. Nothing. Hebrews 7.27, he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Some of you guys may listen to R.C. Sproul, great preacher. He said this about that sacrifice. A lot of times we ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? You know what he says? He says that only happened once, and he volunteered. You understand our fallenness and Jesus' holiness. You know what he's saying. So what about sacrifice in our lives? 
Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, and what Paul's saying is, I've talked to you for 11 chapters in Romans about God's mercy in your life, what Jesus has done. I've talked to you for 11 chapters. Therefore, in light of that, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of that mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He's not asking us anything that doesn't make sense. He did it for us. If you love me, you'll do it for me. 1 John 3.16, how does this affect the people around us? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. He's saying, I did it for you. Now, Now you do it for your family. You do it for your friends. You do it for your coworkers. Lay it down. And some, some in this room, if you're like me, might still be saying, hey, why would anyone do this? Uh, Peter, later in Mark, said one time, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. Now listen to what Jesus tells him. Think about these disciples. They literally have set aside everything, right? And Peter's kind of wondering, what, what do we get in return? Jesus says, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. What's he talking about? He's talking about what we begin to see in the book of Acts. As these people left their lives and came together, they shared everything with each other. And so, yeah, they lost a lot, they sacrificed a lot, but what he offered them, he says it's a hundred times more, not just in the next life, in this life, the joy of the friendships that will come, the people that will bless you as you enter into my family. I got you. Now, he doesn't lie. He says all this along with persecutions. Jesus is no liar. But he says in the age to come, eternal life. Saying, That's why it's worth it, Peter. You made the right choice. Many who are first will be last and the last first. Many in this world who look like they're living high without Jesus will stand before him one day and he says they'll be last, Peter, because they chose poorly. They settled for garbage when I offered them a feast. You laid aside what was secondary and chose me. You're going to be first. So into that first point, I want to ask us all, are you clinging to comfort Or are you clinging to the cross of Jesus Christ? He loves you so much he died for you. What are you waiting for? The second one, comparison with others confuses us about the grace of God. If you really build your identity on how you stack up against other people, you're not going to get Jesus and his grace. Why? Because there's always something better, someone better than you that makes you feel like you'll never measure up. And there's always someone worse than you that makes you feel like you're okay. So who needs grace? Let me show you how this happened in Mark chapter 9. Very next chapter. Who relates with these disciples? Over and over and over. Let's go through this again. All right, verse 30. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. The Son of Man, he said to them, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. 
But they, here we go, they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. Capernaum was where Jesus' ministry began. Okay? So he's getting near the end. He's back where he started. He's in the house, probably Peter and Andrew's house. He asked him, what were you arguing about on the road? See, it's not good to argue and whisper around Jesus, okay? He, he told them about the cross and the resurrection, and they're back behind him, walking in line. They're arguing about something. Probably trying to keep it down, but this is the Son of God, okay? Now listen, they kept quiet. They knew they were in trouble. Ever been there as a kid? What are you doing in there? If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. They kept quiet because on the way they had argued about what? Who was the greatest? Jesus had just told them, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. And all they can think about is which one of us is the best. No wonder they kept quiet, right? wonder they kept quiet. Comparison. They're comparing each other, so they're not thinking about the grace of God, are they? They're not thinking about what Jesus just told them. They're thinking about themselves. To get clarity on this, you know what you need to do, what they need to do? You need to become a channel of God's grace. You need to look not to other people for your identity, but to God, to Jesus. You need to become a channel of God's grace. Watch what he does. Mark 9.35, sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. This was so counterintuitive to everything they were thinking. He's like, you guys are arguing about who's greatest in my kingdom. You want to know who the greatest is? It's the one who is the servant. And Jesus, as you know, is a great teacher, right? He's not just going to give a point and then leave it unillustrated. He's going to show them a picture. Here comes a picture. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Now, children in that society were the least deserving people. They were often seen as inconveniences. They were often seen as not little more than servants to do what needed to be done around the house. They weren't really elevated and valued the way we value them today. He takes one and placed them in the middle. It's no coincidence. He takes the child in his arms, this one that's so devalued in the society. And he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. What's he showing them? He's saying, your society says this kid's worth nothing. I just put this child on my lap and loved him. Now you go out and love those who you think don't deserve it. You serve those who you think don't deserve it. You want to be great? That is the path. You become a channel of God's grace. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never heard of a God of grace like that. Maybe you think God's out there saying, hey, you keep these 2,000 rules and then you can get in my heaven, but you know you can't, so you gave up on that God a long time ago. Here's the grace that God offered us at the cross. Ephesians 2, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not from yourselves. Isn't that a relief? For anybody in here who's been trying and knows you don't measure up, as none of us do, God's holy, we fall short. It's not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. 
What's that feel like when you receive that? When you embrace what Jesus did on the cross for your sins and how he rose again to conquer your sin and death? Here's what it feels like, Romans 4. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. Blessed means happy. You know, this Sunday of all Sundays, every day, really, if you trusted in Jesus, we have to be the most happy people on this planet because our sins have been forgiven. Happy are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. That's why we celebrate on Easter. Freedom. We're free from all that stuff that, that weighed us down and made us know we, we fall short. So we receive it from God, but we become a channel of that grace to others, right? We stop comparing. I'm not going to play that game anymore. I'm going to look at God and what he did for me, and I'm going to pass it on, right? Romans 12.10 says, honor one another above yourselves. You can't do that when you're comparing yourself with other people because your, your primary goal is to keep them down so you can climb up. You can do that when you look at God. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another because everyone around you deserves it. Is that what it says? No, because some of you are like, no, they don't deserve it. And you're right. You don't deserve it either. What's it say? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. You want to know how to forgive that hard person in your life? Look at the cross. There was a story this week that brought this home in Iran. We've got a picture that I'd like to show you. How many of you read this story before I share it? Just a couple. I want to be clear before I share, I'm not advocating Islam. I believe what Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But I am going to share a beautiful story of something that happened there. This is a, a man named Bilal. This was this week. I don't know if you can tell from the picture, he's got a noose around his neck. He had just been led out to be executed uh, because seven years ago in a street fight, he killed an 18-year-old man. They let him out. His mother was in the crowd watching and weeping. The mother of the victim was in the crowd. And in that culture, it's her job to come up and kick the chair out from underneath him so that he would come to his end. That's the mother of the victim in the background right there. What she did, she came up, she smacked him in the face, And then she said, I forgive him. And her husband, the father of the victim, came out and took the noose off of that man's neck. After that, his mother came over and gave the victim's mother a giant hug. thought that was a, a beautiful picture of forgiveness. She was supposed to kick the chair out. Instead, she said, I forgive him, and they took the noose off. And I looked at that picture, and as powerful as it is, I thought, you know what? Jesus takes it one step further. He took the noose off of our necks and put it around his own. If you don't get the cross, maybe that will help. He took the noose you deserved, I deserved, and wrapped it around himself. Every sin 
that you ever committed, are committing, or ever will commit was placed on him. And he suffered the full degree of God's wrath because he loves you. And he looked out on that cross. And I don't believe this only applied to the crowd that was there that day. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Why would you not receive that gift? That's my urgent plea if you're here and you have not. I would love to talk to you. Stop comparing yourself with others because it's a losing battle. Come to Jesus and say, I received that gift. I believe in you. I put all my weight on what you did. I'm going to stop trying to get right with God because you did it for me. So as we end this second of three points, let me ask you, are you caught in the trap of comparing yourself to others? Is that where you're finding your identity, either good or bad? It goes both ways. Neither is okay. You need to become a channel of the grace of God. Receive it, find your identity there in Christ, and then pass it on. Final points, closely re uh, related to that one. Craving recognition confuses us about the power of Christ's resurrection. What do I mean by craving recognition? I mean going all out in your own power to get the limelight. And that causes us to be confused about the power of the risen Christ because as long as I'm doing life in my own power and I'm climbing the ladder in my own power and aiming for that limelight in my own power, I don't need no resurrection power. I don't need no Holy Spirit. I got this. And then we wonder why we have lives that have no power. Listen to what he said in verse 32 of Mark chapter 10. Third conversation. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Now, I think the reason they're astonished here is they're starting to get the idea of why they're going to Jerusalem. And they're like, he's still going. Nothing is stopping him. He is a man on a mission. While those who followed were afraid, they could sense the buildup. Something's going to come down here. Phil Collins, I think I sang one of his songs in here before. You know, I can feel it coming in the air tonight. This crowd can probably feel it coming. So he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. How patient he is. This is three times in three chapters, right? <laughs> they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Now, appropriate response right there is probably a little gratitude, a lot of gratitude. Wow, Jesus, you're doing that for us? Thank you. Instead... Let's meet James and John. Sons of Zebedee came to him. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Right, they're thinking about numero uno, right? Some passages say it was actually their mom that came and talked to Jesus for them. Hey, mom. Go talk to him. Or maybe it's her idea. Who knows? We want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus, 
so gracious. I mean, how many of us would just be like, shut up, guys? You guys are a bunch of knuckleheads. Jesus is like, what do you want me to do for you? Always the teacher. And they said, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. All about me. We don't want those other ten guys getting those spots. Well, we were some of those first fishermen that said, yeah, remember? Gave up our boats. Let, let us have those. And here's where Jesus uh, cuts to the chase. He says, you don't even know what you're asking. And he goes on. Can you drink the cup I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? When he talks about a cup, he's talking about a cup of suffering that he's about to experience. When he talks about a baptism, he's not talking about water baptism. You've heard the phrase baptism by fire. He's talking to them, can you suffer with me? I don't know if they know what he's talking about, but they're like, we can. <laughs> we can, they answer, and Jesus said, you will. You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. Okay, so now the ten catch wind of this conversation, right? Oh, look at what James and John are doing with Jesus. And what's their reaction? They became indignant, of course, with James and John. Jesus called them together, teaching time again. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And here we go again with this first and last stuff. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. But he doesn't just tell them that. He says, guys, this is how I have lived, how I am living my life. For even the Son of Man, even Jesus, even me, he's saying, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Many in this world who have chosen to crave the limelight and go after it with all their hearts have spoken about the, the emptiness of it. Alanis Morissette had a quote a while back that said, Fame is hollow. It amplifies what is there. If there is any self-doubt or hatred or lack of ability to connect with people, fame will magnify it. For those of you who are more poetic, any Emily Dickinson fans in the room? We got one, hmm? Oh, Andrew too, yeah. His brother's selling them out. Ashley and Andrew. <laughs> she said this. She said, fame is a bee. It has a song. I hear that bee buzzing. It has a sting. Ah, too, it has a wing. You catch it? It has a song that sings to us, and it can bite us, and then it can fly away and leave us just as hollow as we started. That's, that's life in our own power. If that's the path you're on, it's going to confuse you about why do I need the power of the resurrection? You want some clarity, you've got to go straight to the power of the risen Christ. So what Jesus is telling these guys is, guys, you don't go straight to glory. There's a path to glory, and it leads through suffering. 
It leads through serving. It leads through loving others before loving yourself. And when you're willing to die to yourself, that's when Christ's power can become everything he wants to be in your life. Becoming a man of God or a woman of God has nothing to do with you walking out of here saying, I'm going to do my best in my own power to get this right. It has everything to do with saying, I cannot do it. I need you, Jesus. I will trust in the power of the Holy Spirit in me to be the man or woman of God you've called me to be. To experience Christ's resurrection power, you must first experience death to yourself. I want to show you a picture that I took in my backyard yesterday. (laughs) Yeah. Talk about an awesome creator God, right? I've never seen a butterfly with that kind of intricacy. See the yellows and the blues and the orange. And I I grabbed my iPhone as quick as I could and, and took that picture. And I thought about caterpillars and butterflies. And it's a, a time-worn illustration. Forgive me if I use it again. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. I would have loved to have seen that guy a month or two ago. (laughs) You see those ugly, fat, slimy caterpillars we got around here? (laughs) I want you to imagine that that those caterpillars were smarter than they really are, and there's one of them having a deep philosophical thought process. Two months ago, he's got an option. He's like, "Ah, I could either build build a cocoon and go in there and be transformed, or I could just try my hardest to be the coolest, most awesome caterpillar possible. And he says, I'm not going to do that cocoon thing. That's like totally dependent on someone else other than me. I get in there and then someone else does it. I'm just going to try to be the sweetest looking caterpillar I can. So forget that. What, what would he have missed out on? He would have missed out on being this new creation, right? But I think there's a lot of us doing that. We're like, I'm going to just forget this dying to self stuff, trusting in Jesus and letting him live his resurrection life in me. I'm just going to be the best slimy caterpillar I can. And Jesus is saying, there's so much more. Just die to yourself. Trust in me. Let me live in you, and I'll make you something you couldn't even imagine. I'll make your life count for eternity. We saw it in Jesus' life, right? the path through death to resurrection and glory. Philippians 2 says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him after the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The suffering came and then the exaltation as Savior. This resurrection is the the center of it all. You know that, right? If it happened, then we ought to sell our lives out for Jesus. If it didn't, we ought to get up and leave here 
Okay, he wanted to make sure people knew he was alive. That's why he appeared to 500 people, it says in 1 Corinthians 15. This was huge. Paul says if Christ isn't raised, your, your faith is futile. So he appeared to 500 people. And listen to what Lee Strobel said about that. He said, I went to a psychologist friend and said if 500 people claimed to see Jesus after he died, it was just a hallucination. He said his psychologist friend said hallucinations are an individual event. If 500 people have the same hallucination, that's a bigger miracle than the resurrection. Jesus did that on purpose because like Tim Keller said, if Jesus rose from the dead, you have to accept all that he said. All of it. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs, and some of us need to hear this, we all do, the issue is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. That is the issue. That's resurrection in Jesus' life. What about us? Can we say with Paul? We can, if we walk in faith and die to ourselves. Galatians 1.20 I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Can you say that with Paul this morning? Christ lives in me. The risen Christ that walked out of that tomb lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live how? By faith. By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Nothing you cannot do for God. He walked out of a tomb and he lives in you. You trust in him. John 16. Jesus was telling his disciples the path he was going to take. Now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, listen to this. It's for your good that I am going away. Imagine the confusion there. It's, it's for our good that you're going to die on a cross? That you're going to go back to heaven? Why? He goes on, he says, Unless I go away, the advocate, the counselor, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's the hope of the resurrection for you and I. Because Jesus went to heaven, he was able to send the Holy Spirit down. And through the Holy Spirit, he could say, I will be with you always to the end of the age. I love Star Wars. I read that passage and I can't help but think about Darth Vader talking to Obi-Wan. Remember it? Your powers are weak, old man. You remember what Obi-Wan said? You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. And throughout all the rest of the movies, he's there as a spirit guiding the rest of the Jedis, right? That's what Jesus is saying here. As long as I was here in a body, I was limited by space and time. I could disciple 12, but I couldn't disciple the whole world. But now I'm going to come to you and even though I've been struck down, I'm going to rise again. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to dwell in every believer. I shall become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. He says things like, you will do greater things than I did. Check it out in the book of John. It's there. 
Do we believe that? I want to ask you, are you, are you pursuing recognition in your own power? Or are you living for God's glory in the power of Christ's resurrection this morning? Conclusion this morning? You want clarity? Clarity comes in the person of Christ. That's the bottom line. You want to get rid of that confusion about Christ? Come to him. Dennis Kinlaw said, if we get Jesus, we get God. If we miss Jesus, we miss God. If you haven't believed, Romans 10 says it this way. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you, yes, you listening this morning, will be saved. If you believe that. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, made right with God. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The promise, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's a pretty good trait, isn't it? (laughs) I get to be the righteousness of God and Jesus took my yuck on himself. 1 Corinthians 15 says it this way, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you so much for Easter. I hope we don't only celebrate your resurrection on this day, but I love just having a, a, a regular time in our year where we slow down and and focus in on what you did, Jesus. You died for our sin. You rose again. You're bringing transformation. You're you're making butterflies out of caterpillars. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the resurrection. Some of us in here have trusted in those things and maybe wandered into a road where we're trying it on our own. Help us to stop being the best caterpillars we can be and just trust you to make us butterflies and if there's anybody in here this room that's feeling like that caterpillar saying man I've been trying maybe this morning's the morning where they could lay it down and come to rest in you in your son his death and resurrection and let you transform them from the inside out if you're here this morning and that's you I'd love to talk with you more Father, thank you. May we go out of here celebrating the risen King, spreading the good news about him, being a channel of your grace. Even as we prepare to collect our offering, Lord, I pray that every penny that goes in there would go for that purpose of making you famous and spreading your good news. In Jesus' name, amen.